0: Chapter eight for a minute. All right, and uh, let's start in prayer. Oh. So God, we uh, the book of Acts is—it's uh, unbelievable. It's powerful. You're the same God that's in there, that's here now. Um. We just read last week of an unbelievable life of Stephen, the first early church martyr, Lord, and just filled with power, just spirit and wisdom, God. And we just see just the the working of your spirit as we just study through this stuff, God. And we just pray then we call out for your spirit just to be working through this church, Lord, and through our own individual lives, God. Um, give us stories within our lives, Lord, within the church. Um, May you continue to just amaze us, Lord, and wow us, Lord. And so uh, we thank you for this time, God. Help us to just focus on you and uh, have the soils of our heart, you know, be soft, God, so we can just take in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 8. So, before we get into, like, reading it and kind of looking at it, I was thinking about uh, about chapter 8. We're going to be talking about a guy... Uh, and, a, and a couple of guys, but one guy in particular who uh, just didn't really get it, like there's just people in life that just don't really get stuff, like you just you explain it to him, you tell it him, it's just it's just not connecting, like it just doesn't happen. Um, and then sometimes in life, um, you come across people that have ulterior motives, right where you know when they do something for you they're really kind of expecting something else in return or whatever they're telling you it's it's not really like the whole truth It's not exactly the whole situation and as I was thinking about ulterior motives right we got one quiz for you before we start right I teach and I'm giving quizzes all day long I'm giving another quiz Sunday morning so on the next slide we have right A B or C ulterior motives and I was going through and kind of thinking about this stuff and studying I was trying to find a good definition uh, and I was, I was going through. I thought I knew the way how to spell it. And it turns out that I didn't. So I'm curious, you know, A, B, or C, uh, what you would pick, right? And so I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you. But it turns out to be B. I was like, oh, wow, I did not know that's how you spell it. So ulterior motives, right? A motive which is undisclosed or secret, but serves... Uh, as the actual driver of the behavior. So motive, which is undisclosed or secret, but serves as the actual driver of the behavior. And so we're going to see that this morning, that um, we're going to read about this guy Simon, where it's just, uh, he had ulterior motives. Like he wasn't really committed to the thing that we all thought you know, he was committed to. And you see this sometimes in life. Um, you see it maybe with friendship sometimes. Where maybe you're gonna do something for them, like maybe they'll help you move or do something. But you know, as soon as you call them and when they come over, like they're gonna be expecting something in return. Like this is gonna definitely gonna be like a two-way street here, and you know, become hesitant really to call them and really ask them because it's like, I mean, they got ulterior motives. They really just help me out because they want something else later on. Um, It also happens a little bit in family dynamics. Right? If you have maybe a uh, wife or, or husband or, or child who maybe doesn't typically give a lot of gifts and really show a lot of affection and do things. Um, and then maybe for one day, you know, maybe you, you get some flowers, they're really nice and they're really kind of, you know, putting the love on pretty strong. And so sometimes, sometimes the first question is, why are you doing this? You know, what's the ulterior motive behind It's Like, what are you trying to get me to? What do you soften me up for? You know what's going on. Um, another place you might see it right now, which is like all over the news, is this whole thing in Egypt right now. Right? They have this whole mess in Egypt, and they're trying to figure out with President Mubarak. You know, um, they want him to step down. All these protesters are gathering, and this whole thing is going on. And you know, it's a pretty impressive effort to get that many people together at one time on a consistent basis and go for a movement. And so you have this group, and this isn't a political stance, this is just kind of what's going on. So there's a group, right, the Muslim Brotherhood, and so they're, they're kind of like big players in this thing, and, um, you know, they're saying what they really want liberation and democracy for the people, and so that's why you know, they're meeting together. And so we hope, right, we hope that's really what they're going for. Uh, hopefully it's not to break up Israel and... and, and they're going to stick to the word only time will tell know, we motives or not you know? we'll, we'll see what happens but in life we just come across that a lot and it's really valued nowadays to have that's really like genuine and take I think that probably in your lives you're probably really drawn to those types of people because you don't what they say is kind of. What you get. there's really no hidden motive there's nothing else going on there. So, it's kind of nice to have that. Um, and so we're going to read about this guy Simon today. He kind of how plays into this whole thing. So what we'll do is we'll pick up... We'll pick up in verse 1. And so just a quick backdrop from last time. So basically we talked about in chapter 7, we had Stephen step on the scene. And uh, he... He put his whole life on the line. He gave this long speech defending his faith because he had these bogus charges brought against him. Just bogus charges. They just made him up. And so he went there and uh, he went before the ruling council in the Sanhedrin and he told them and he said, hey, he defended the faith. And he gave this really long speech and it was kind of like, man, why was he talking so much? But he really addressed every single thing that they brought up. And He did it in such a way to also indict them at the same time because really their sin was just... We talked about last week. They just resisted the Holy Spirit. Like God was under their noses. He was right in front of them. He was doing an actual work and they didn't even see it. They didn't even see it. And we said that they did not, they could not, and they would not recognize what God was doing. Just did not want to do it. Um, And why? I don't know, they were jealous, they were pretty prideful. Uh, and so Stephen tried to point that out to them. And he said, listen, this isn't like the first time you've done this. This is like goes back into your history. You've done it with the prophets. Um, you've done it with Jesus Christ himself. You've done it with Moses, with Joseph. You've done it all these times. it has been a pattern. This is not anything new. And so at the end of that speech, after he gives them all this stuff and kind of indicts them and gives the history, he, uh, they are so mad so mad in fact they're gnashing their teeth and they end up taking him outside and stoning him and as they're stoning him Stephen's standing and he's saying father forgive him for they just don't know what they're doing and so you see this picture of just real love and grace and uh, as that's happening and they're stoning him there's a guy standing there you know probably you got a picture of him standing there watching everybody God in their clothes and they're all throwing stones and yelling and it's a violent scene and there's a guy standing there watching giving approval to everything saying like yep that's what we do with these kind of people and that guy saw, Saul right who later becomes Paul and, right. right. and standing there watching. and so that's where we pick up and that's what uh, verse 1 says Saul was there giving approval to people and so it says in verse 2 it says on that day a great persecution Broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So on that day, great persecution broke out after the stuff that Stephen happened. And it says, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. so they were scattered, and really the word there is um, kind of like scattering the kind of like the window. And so you get this picture the violent, violent event that just happened. And you have God, the ultimate gardener, Mr. Green is on right there. He's the guy. And he's just scattering the seed. Right? He's taking, not the apostles are kind of staying central, staying right there, keeping their base. But now with everybody else is going to start to scatter the seed. Not just going to stay in Jerusalem, just going to go to other other places. And so it says in verse 2, it says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply buried. But Saul, began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And some other version says he didn't just destroy the church, he ravaged the church, he made havoc. And like he kind of paints a picture of that with havoc with the language. It's like a wild animal mangling its prey. He's just on mission, possessed, like, ah, like, oh, we can't have these Christians. He's you know, just out of control. So it says in verse 4, we pick up Philip here. It says, those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. They didn't change their message. They just kept going. And you know, God was behind it all. And it says, Philip, now Philip was one of the seven, right, that they appointed. Remember, they needed seven people to help pass out food and take care of the widows and and, the orphans and women. And so Philip, one of the seven, says, he went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ. It so says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to like what he said. The shrieked, of evil spirits came out of many, many paralytics and cripples were healed, and so there was great joy in the city. So you have Philip, and he takes off to this place, Samaria. Now, it's kind of hard to see from this map, but if you take a look at the map, uh, basically, he went, so they were like in this area over here, right? They are like over there. And when all this stuff happens, Stephen and everything, they all just kind of dispersed and took off. And so Philip kind of ends up kind of up in this region, over here. And that's kind of cool. After like this chapter, We find out all of a sudden he just like takes off down here and like, stuff. Like, pretty neat. But they were here. He scatters. He goes over there. He's in that region. He's with the Samaritans, with the significant group, just a different group. This is not really the pure Jewish, pure Hebrew race. You know, they're sort of intermingled when uh, when Jerusalem was, was occupied kind of on the testament. You know? um, and so they weren't necessarily really looked on with favor. Right, you remember the Samaritan by the law that was an interesting dynamic. Um, but he's there. And he's proclaiming Christ, giving the word and God signs and wonders. Work is being done and there's rejoicing that God is like to to So while they're there, it says now for some time uh, man the Simon had practiced sorcery he a in the city and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power and has the great power. They fought him because he had amazed them for a long time, with his natural. But when they believed the and as he preached the good news of the chief of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized. Both men and women. So, Simon himself, he also believes in baptism. We're going to come back to that, but it's pretty significant. We'll come back. It says, and he follows Philip everywhere, astonished by the great so Simon. Simon, the sorcerer, he's like a big name in town. He does a lot of things. He's a big man on campus. People are following him. I'm sure he's generating some money out of this. He's known as the Great Power, with nicknames they have. And, this guy Philip, comes along. he's preaching like this good news of Jesus Christ, this different message, and you can tell the power with this guy. Things are going on. He's like, I don't have that power. What's that all about? And so he's like, Okay, yeah, I want to be baptized, uh, Yes, I want to follow you. I want to be part of this thing. Like, that's fine. Let's do this. And so he says he follows himself everywhere. Astonished. Kind of a key word? And you're like, Well, I don't know. I'm not. Like he was astonished by the great signs and miracles. So it says when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to right? So they sent Peter and they sent John. And this is interesting because this is really the last time we're going to hear from John as far as like a really productive sort of church kind of work. Because it's kind of a sound player up until this point. But we really don't hear much from the message. But they sent Peter, right? They send the Pope. But um they sent Peter and John. So when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. says because the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. So they had simply been baptized into the name of the Holy So interesting scenario. says that these people had been baptized and accepted Christ. But yet they had to send Peter and John so they might receive the Holy Spirit. Right? And we know later on in the New Testament whenever you make a profession of being a mascot, and you are like, oh, he's very fun. But as you read throughout the Bible, there's also sometimes in you know, life. There's an empowering experience that actually happens with the spirit. Where some sort of significant event, some sort of thing takes place where God is just like kind of in the in that moment, just like this overwhelming of his spirit. And sometimes it happens in dramatic ways kind of like it was happening here. And so these guys, we know from the word that they baptized, they accepted Christ the bottom, and bottoming, so spirit was in them. But they needed this empowering to happen. And we gotta think that since this new work is being done and the church is being formed now outside, we need to have some like confirmation and some validity to what God is actually doing. They've had the same stuff going on here that was also going on in Jerusalem. But we already had all of these things happening in Jerusalem, it also being in Samaria, really confirmed that God was also moving outside there, not just with purely Jewish people. And so, in verse 17, it says, Then Peter and John placed their hand on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 18, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' and he offered them money, and said, Give me also this ability. So that everyone in whom I lay my hands, can receive the Holy Spirit. So something happened. Peter and John put their hands on, him, prayed for him. Something happened because he noticed. Grabbed his attention. He liked what he saw. He must have moved them. And do you we know exactly? No. Say. say anywhere else here. Something significant happened. He saw it. He said, "Oh man, I gotta have that." He's like, "I'll even pay you for it." So it says in verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of captain. You have no heart for sharing his ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captivism. And Simon answered, Praise the Lord, homie. I was sincere. I hope that he was. Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel. And many Samaritans. Right, so we get this scene of God scattering, spreading the church, not just keeping it central in Jerusalem. He's not, he's not. Philip goes out. He catches the eye. This got Simon sees it, he to it, he wants to be around it, he can get baptized, And we can tell where he went wrong, right? We were talking about ulterior motives. Like he kind of started off as like a sorcerer, magician guy. He was caught up with this stuff, he liked it, he was into it. But his motives weren't really pure. And they kind of, you know, chasing him at the end, sort of like he's not even really believing. He says, you can't. You, can't. you can't get that stuff out of him. And so, this guy Simon, he was around all of this Christian stuff, and, and around the works of God, but his heart really wasn't pure, right? His heart wasn't really pure. And the part that, that's the thing that really sticks up to me is that a lot of times you have ulterior an motives and you got something out, some other agenda, where you're trying to like move the and city, and you're trying to make happen. When you're pure in heart, you don't really have to worry about it. I mean, this is like central to Christianity. If we miss this part, and This one is all about. I mean, on the Sermon of the Mount, right? Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is talking about just being pure in the heart, right? And he gives the Beatitudes. And he talks about, blessed are the pure in heart, right? Blessed are the meek. And he ties together things with murder and anger, he ties them together, he puts them on the same plane He puts lust and adultery on the same plane Now why is he doing that? Because it's not so much actually what you do and what you're carrying out, it does have some significance. But what's really, really important is what was your part about during that stuff. That's what really matters. And that's the only place where God can get it. Nobody else can really get in there and say, why you're actually imagine if you have that power you have that power, you could like go into something. You could be like, this is why you're doing it. I'm calling you on it for this, this, and this. Imagine if you could do that. I would certainly abuse that power. I would abuse it Monday through Friday when I'm teaching 15, 16, 17-year-olds. I would abuse it the whole time. That's why I don't have it. Right? But, and it says in the Bible so many times when like Jesus came in the room and it says, phrases like, And Jesus knew their heart. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what was going on. Wow. And he just related really to kick Man, right then and there. Right? And don't think for a second that he doesn't know our heart and what's really going on and maybe the show we may or may not put on, he's right there in the middle of Pureness of heart is essential and critical to the Christian faith. You know, we talked about, he also ties in there fasting, giving. Prayer, like all the Christian stuff, and this is kind of where we're going to settle in for a minute because, okay, you can have ulterior motives and you know try and you know determine why people are doing what's going on. And sometimes people will bring that out. Sometimes situations in life would just squeeze in, kind of just bring out the motive are about. As soon as God gets involved in the process, He starts to manipulate those people, those situations, to really make it work together where it brings and true motivation. You see what you really about. Sometimes you're a Oh, man, I had no idea I had that much funky sin in I just had no idea ah, they could add they could add so that. Ah, take it out of him. Take it out of him. That's what God does that way. And He was involved in the process. And so when we do, like the things that we do, when we give and you know, we help, and we fast, that's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. We fast and we don't mess up. A lot of people might wash your face. Thank you so they would never even know. You know, when you give, you, right hand knows your left hand. You go to pray, you know, don't come in like they do with the own colored robes and they get there and they pray and everybody can hear It's a really good prayer. They've been practicing it, it's really nice. Sounds really all the Christian needs in there and they got it all down. That's not it's not the heart, the heart. How do you do life when you're at home and you're five yourself? You know, what really translates and happens now? that other stuff only happens when people come on and scene. That's what kind of dad was in the heart. He said, this guy's signing um, just didn't have it. And we have a verse from 1 uh, Chronicles 28. He says, you got talked about this in the Old Testament. David was saying this to his son Solomon. And he says, and you, my son Solomon, now the God of your father. Serve them with wholehearted devotion with a willing mind. Right? right? Here we go. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive. And that I, I mean, I got convicted every time I read it. Searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, with the plan. he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Knowing your heart, understanding every motive. Powerful, powerful God. I asked for God's opinion just to make that one of the reality anymore. Because sometimes I'm probably, I know, I think I'm getting the right I'm like, what else is that? See? It's not, definitely not over. Definitely not over. And so Simon, his problem was, right, we said underlined circle, that word astonished. He just caught him. He just was astonished, kind of wowed by it. Just caught him. That's where he was. That's where his Christian growth was. We don't know what happened with him after. We're not quite sure how he ended up. He asked them to pray for him, and hopefully they did, hopefully things were bad. But the thing, one of the things, and we'll kind of close with this thought, that jumps out to me, was that we finally we get a picture of a guy who was around Philip, around the works of God around everything that the Spirit was doing. And he got baptized and he got messages. And yet here's a guy that came so close to Christianity and at least when we left off, he wasn't where he should have been. He was right in the middle. Right in the middle. A big part of it. And wanted, wanted to do it. And so, he had ulterior motives. And, and then, you know, the question always comes up, you know, and it's really a for another day, but, you know, can you lose, lose your salvation? You know, what happens with all that stuff? You know, we'll find out when we get there. I guarantee you that. Because I guarantee when we get up there, we're going to get some surprises. You know, hopefully not too many. Hopefully do do like, high-five and be like, yes, how awesome is this place? I told you it would be like this. Didn't we go and talk about this and pray about this? And we're singing and we have our new bodies on, we're looking sharp, and it's nice. But, but then like we're talking, we're hanging out, we're like, we're so-and-so. I thought that, no, are you serious? Like, it's definitely gonna happen, and and who knows how many Simons, you know, are out there. I don't know. Purity, purity of heart. And so, oh, one quick side note, which is kind of interesting with this guy Simon. Did you know, um, Early on in the Catholic Church, you have to pay the sacraments and things like that. Uh, you, could also buy, uh, you could also buy offices or positions in the church. That's where the word comes from, right? It's got Simon in the whole situation. So it's natural crime. Simon, you actually forget that crime because uh, you tried to buy your off your position in the church. How often is well, The church is such a bad right? But it used to happen. It they used to happen. So what do we do with all this stuff? Well, so I think one thing to learn right away is from Jeremiah 17:9. No matter who you are and what's going on with you, we're all in the same boat and we're stuck. We're stuck with this part here. Because the heart is deceitful we'll above all things and beyond you. Who can understand? And it really, really worries me. And it really concerns. And people are like, man, you know, I don't know what to do. A big decision is coming up, and I'm not quite you how to let go. And I just follow your heart good to do that, and you should do that. It's scary. Maybe yes, maybe no, but the heart is just looking out for itself. Like the body we have, the flesh, like this whole thing that like we have on, whether you like it or not, it's got its own wills, desires, it's got stuff it wants to do. And it just wants to take care of itself. You know, it wants to feed it. It's got, it's got all these needs, all these demands. And the spirit also has demands. And the key is right within that spirit, Michel. Our spirit, the shelf. the like on that and on and on and so and so and all that. of The heart to keep, above all things. And you always want to try and keep your motives in check. Right? If you're a Christian and you're bought and you believe this, you want to try and keep your motives in check. So what do we do? Well, one thing I would certainly keep in mind is you guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard that central aspect of you. To make your choices where you your desires and Proverbs is called the wellspring of life. So you want to guard that, protect it. You don't let get in there. Um, do your best to, to guard your heart and to understand yourself as well as you possibly can. Right? Like, there's a lot of value. You know, they have like, especially with. Um, you have heard about a lot of books on marriage. Uh, I think it's called realrelationships.com. They have a lot of cool stuff up there. And you can take all these assessments and learn more about yourself. And then, you know, your spouse can learn more about him or herself. And you guys can take these different tests together. And there's a lot of value to those assessments because then you can understand yourself better and your heart and your emotions. And now you can, and then you can see where the spirit plays in There's so much value in it. And we had that at our fingertips. I and mean, we can go online and just like take it and see it. And a of it's free. We're just guarding our heart. Um, and the other thing as far as keeping pure motives. You know, if you're a person that struggles with having to get praises and recognition for everything that you do, some people really have a legitimate trouble with that. It. And it's not a knock, but you got to understand it's not healthy. Who knows what the upbringing was and who the person is. Maybe they just really never got it younger and never really got the affection that they needed. Um, they just feel really devalued as a person. And so you see them kind of looking for that stuff. It's important to recognize that and see that. But you also want to make sure when you do things in life as you grow and as you mature, you want to realize that those are bad motives. You want to have pure motives. Especially when you're doing things in the kingdom for God. You don't want to be in a position where, like, oh man, you know, I did that Bible study or I served in that thing and nobody told me a good job just told me, I wrote a, you know, a particular big check that nobody going to You don't want to do that. You want to be pure and heartless. Another thing to help keep pure motives, for some good examples. I'm sure God has placed some of these good examples somewhere around your life somewhere. How did they live? Uh, what kind of decisions do they make? What do they focus on? And one thing I like a lot uh, is just writing the song. And it's just a prayer, and it's to ask God to search you, know your parts, know your thoughts, whatever offensive way that is in you, God, just read that thing out because I can't, I don't have access to that. Like I can convince myself of anything, that I really could, I could do a really good job of it, and then I could run with it. But I got to guard myself because I, I got to like fight off myself. This is crazy, and then I got all these other messages coming in, and I have to deal with that too, and it's. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right, and so you need God to get in there and search that stuff out and bring it to the top. And when He does bring it up to the top, not to be so defensive, able would take it. All right, you know, that is part of it. I can't ignore it because to make it that. You feel that way. I got to deal with this thing. God brought it out. I have to it. So I think when we read this passage, we read about Simon where he kind of slipped up in his motives like he just wasn't pure of the Christ. Christ didn't have every aspect, every nook and cranny of his heart. It was not fully open. So I think if we read that passage, we read what God is doing, what's going on, the way he wants to use us and work through us, he's got to have availability through those things. And we have to be mature enough when he brings that stuff out, right then actually I can engage so why don't we, uh, why don't we stand and pray together well, uh, ask yeah, God to be-